Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel, and today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Zach Dixon. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind please taking an extra 30 seconds to head over to iTunes and rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it literally means the world to me. I check every single one of these reviews, and it just really fills up my cup. So thanks for making my day with that review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Zach Dixon bought his first rental property in 2017. And since then, he and his wife, Rachel, have acquired over 300 mobile home park lots, as well as some apartment units and single-family home rentals. Zach, we're excited to welcome you to the show, brother. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here, actually. Yeah. Would you mind starting out by telling our listeners about your story? I know you were you know, a cop for many years and a detective. So maybe you can start by sharing your story and how in the world you got into manufactured housing communities. Yeah, for sure. So uh, my wife and I had talked about for some time investing in real estate. We, we wanted to do it. We kind of seen the benefits of it. Like you mentioned, I was working as a cop. And as you know, cop salaries aren't the highest. And so we wanted a way to really looking back, our goals were very small. <laughs> as I'm sure a lot of people look back and, you know, hindsight and like, wow, why did I have such small goals? But I just wanted to add really income to my salary. I just want a little bit more income. And so we started looking at real estate and really it was going to be single family homes. But even those were kind of in, in the area of Colorado where we live, those were kind of out of our price range, if you will. So we started, we actually found a, a single mobile home on a piece of land and basically a single family. And so we purchased that all in, we were, I think 17,000, which was oh, wow. a really good deal. Yeah, uh, we rented it for two years and turned around and sold it for, I believe, forty nine thousand. And so then ten thirty one that. But in the meantime, in those two years, we were also buying other small multifamily. And it wasn't until I guess a couple years after buying our first one, we bought our first mobile home park. And so we got familiar with mobile homes. And I have a little bit of a background in construction. Done that most of my life, and so. To me, they're easy to work on. I know a lot of people don't think that, but yeah. So fast forward, we started really trying to acquire parks. We we fell in love with the kind of the model, if you will, and tried to figure out why there it wasn't being talked about more. And as you know, now it is being talked about. <laughs> it's a big, it's kind of a big deal. A lot of institution money going into them. A lot more banks are financing them now, whereas before they weren't. So yeah. Wow. That is fantastic. So that very first mobile home was your first rental that you that got. Was it. Yep. You got it for 17 grand. That's amazing. Was that off market or was that just like a listed deal? It was a listed deal. I think uh, Rachel seen it on Facebook, but yeah, it was a, it was a listed deal. Wow. 2017 back when, you know, I think everybody wishes they could have bought. And <laughs> <laughs> so that I wish, I wish we'd have bought more. I, I wish we'd have bought more then. But we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot. And so going back to kind of our goals, at the time, we bought the first one. We got excited. And 
you know, my big fancy goal was like, man, if I could, if I could have like 15 of these things by the time I'm, you know, 60, 65, you know, add some, you know, another, you know, another hundred thousand to my income, I'll be good. And, and obviously those goals changed very quickly and which is a good thing. Yeah, no, that's fantastic, man. And then, you know, why jump into mobile home park investing, you know, versus staying the single family home now? What was it and and how did you get educated on like the possibility of of manufactured housing? So, really at the time we started, we listened to I'm sure you've heard of Bigger Pockets podcast. Sure. And I believe this was before even Brandon was buying mobile home parks. So I didn't I didn't really hear a lot about mobile home parks. It was kind of a new concept. I knew about them wasn't super familiar with them. So what made me really fall in love with the the mobile home park model is so by this time we had multifamily. And as you know with apartments you have a turnover, uh you go in and typically it depends on how great the tenant was, you're going to redo all the flooring, the the painting, just a whole bunch of stuff. But if you can get a park where you're in essence doing a land lease and other people own their homes, well there's quite a few advantages to to that model. One, what I've seen, and I guess this is the consensus, is tenants typically stay longer. You have a longer tenancy. There's more sense of community. People take pride of ownership. And then the biggest one for me is there's no maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Other than your your infrastructure and your roads, if if those are privately owned, trees and whatnot. But that that was like the big aha moment for us is you don't make as much maybe per lot as you would per apartment, but you have a lot less headache. And in my opinion, it's a lot more stable. Mm-hmm. It's it's so affordable housing. It. Yeah, you came across it. It's affordable housing. You kind of get more bang for your buck in terms of number of units. And it, yeah. you came across it on bigger pockets. And then you said, okay, I want to buy a mobile home park. And then what did you do? You know, Did you look at listed deals? Did you start talking to brokers? You know, how did you get that first park and when when did you close on that one? That one would have been goodness, 2019, 2000, 2018, end of 2018, 2019. And that was in North Carolina. That was a smaller park. It was listed. I had called about it, talked to the broker, did a drive-through of it, and then kind of just stopped pursuing it. Realized like, hey, I should probably go back and look at that park. <laughs> you know, I think that's a good deal. The numbers make sense. And so at that time it was actually expired. So we still did the deal, but a little bit of a backstory. So the financing, as you are aware of, was very difficult. I must have called it felt like I called 50 banks. I, I may not have called 50 banks, but I called a lot of banks and everybody it was like, no, no, no. Finally found a bank who we've since used quite a bit small local local bank in North Carolina and they financed it uh 70% of uh purchase price and so we uh yeah that was our first one and obviously financing that that's kind of i guess has historically been the big hurdle to investing in mobile home parks and why is it because you didn't have a track record or is it just finding a bank that wants to to finance you know and, and hold this as collateral or why has it been a struggle for you, do you think? At the time, I don't think there was a lot of, if you will, publicity around the parks. It was kind of looked on as a, you know, like the lowest of the lowest. And mm-hmm. it seemed like banks didn't really want to touch it. You know, there's issues with 
trailers being able to be pulled in and out, which is a, a large part of if it's producing a certain amount of income and you go pull all the trailers out, the bank has really no income. They just have the land. So I think that was part of it. But yeah, since then, we've had quite a bit better luck. Actually, today, just got a call from a banker that said we got approved for two refinances. For the interest rate environment we're in now, pretty good terms. So it definitely has changed. I think it's starting to get some of the attention it deserves, if you will. Yeah. Tell us about your model, right? Like, So what's the what does the typical park look like that you're looking to buy? I mean, you have 300 lots. Are those, you know, 30 lots, 100 lots? What do those look like? They vary. Our largest park is 90 lots. Our smallest is eight with a single family home. And that's in a very hot market. They, they kind of vary. We have historically kind of gone after the smaller parks is mm-hmm. kind of a niche. For a while, it didn't seem like there was as much competition or as much focus being given to the smaller parks. Now it's, you know, it's, they're all pretty popular. But I feel like for, for us, we could make the numbers work on the smaller parks. Yeah. Same here. I've and seen so, that, you know, where those like 30 lot parks, you know, you're able to get it at like an 11 cap going in. Like that's right. like common. Yep. So yep. I, I think there is an opportunity there. Now, are you raising money? You know, are you bringing, doing JV deals with equity partners or how are you putting these deals together? Yeah. So backing up, we got bought our second park. We were super excited about it. We bought that one with bank financing as well. We did extremely well. We we held, held it for not even seven months before an investor came in and offered us over three times what we paid for it. Wow. So from that point, we started... What did you do with that one? Like That was your first... Like, did you... Was it a big value add project? You had a lot of big heavy not. lift? It wasn't. No. It, I'll tell you the story. So it was actually an off-market park. It was from our hometown in North Carolina where both my wife and I grew up. And Which I went out for coffee, uh, Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Wilkesboro, okay. Yep. So went out driving one morning to get coffee, and I thought I'll go drive around and look for some parks. <laughs> so I actually stopped in by the mobile home dealer, and I was talking to the lady. There. I was like, "Hey, you don't have any good deals on parks?" And she's like, "No, sure don't." She's like, "Well, there's that one over off Armory Road," and I'm like, "All right, who owns it?" She told me, and I'm like, "That's our realtor that we used on our first park." Turns out he didn't own it; it was he managed it. So I called him, kind of got some details. This was during COVID. So this is actually, maybe it was our third part. Anyways, it was during COVID. A lot of stuff going on. Long story short, we bought it for $300,000 and used bank financing. And seven months later, got an offer. We raised the rent a little bit. Okay. Didn't really do any value add, but got an offer for $945. Wow. Um, How many lots was that? That was only 24. Wow. 24 lots. You picked that up for 300K. I mean, that's phenomenal. (laughs) So that was like a kind of a big boost for us because then we were able to take that money. And I didn't realize it at the time. Typically, it's a a two-year waiting period. But because we, we didn't go... We weren't anticipating flipping this or... you know, We hadn't even really added any value other than raise their lot rents a little bit. We got advice from our CPA and attorney and they're like, yeah, you could you could 1031 this, even though it's been, I think it was seven, eight months, right at seven or eight months. And so we did that. So we we uh, rolled that into several other properties. And so that was kind of a big boost. And then it was around that time, maybe even a little before we started kind of exploring the the benefits of private money. So lending from individuals. 
And really, that's kind of what we do now. We do a lot of owner financing if we can. Obviously, that's always preferred, especially if you can get good, good terms and everything. But we've started using private money and kind of our model is if we can get a park you know, with private money, either 100% or, or a good portion of it and owner financing or bank financing, we found banks to, that'll work with us that way. And then go in, but backing up, preferably private money, because then you can buy it outright, add whatever value you need to add, raise rents, infill, whatnot. And then you can refinance it. And that's actually what we're doing. We're in the process of doing now is uh, refinancing a couple deals that we got uh, with private money. Very cool. So that's kind of that's what we've done lately. Awesome. And, and you guys are based out of Chattanooga now, right? Is that right? So we actually live in Colorado. You live in Colorado. Okay. Got Colorado. It. Yep. And what part of so, Colorado? Uh, Southwest Colorado. You know where Telluride is? Mm-hmm. Little ski resort. It's about 30 minutes outside of Telluride. Very cool. And where's your portfolio at? Is it mostly in the Carolinas? Is it? So we have some stuff here in Colorado. And then we have South Dakota, West Virginia, North Carolina, and Florida. Okay. So kind of spread out, spread out then a little kind bit. Kind of spread out quite, quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And do you manage all that in-house? We do. Yeah. We, uh, Rachel and I do yep, all of our own management. We're probably to the point where we're going to start exploring some different options with that because it's, it's quite a bit and we're, we're growing. Uh, we just closed a park two days ago and we have three more to close by the end of the year. So oh, wow. we're, we're growing I mean, it's, and it's, too, I know. It's December <laughs> yeah. 7th, you got a lot of work yep. to do. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I know. So it, it's to the point where we would like to try to hire management for at least a good portion of it. So Awesome. Yeah. What do you think is the toughest hurdle to mobile home park investing uh, <clears throat> based on your experience this far? I would say knowledge. Knowledge, obviously, being educated, going into this educated, kind of knowing what you're getting yourself into is probably one of the more important things, um, knowing and what to you, look for. Yeah. How'd you do that? Like to know what to do in due diligence and things like that? Trial and error. I listen to podcasts. Frank Ralph, I'm sure you've heard of him. I listen to his podcast. That was that was helpful. Little short clippets of stuff to do on due diligence. But, but yeah, just... That and trial and error. <laughs> have you ever been to so, his boot camp? Like the MSU I have not. Boot camp? You have not. No. Nope. Okay. No. Nope. So just po- podcasts and just being resourceful online and just kind of self educate. Yep. Trial and error. Yep. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, what do you think is like the best strategy right now, or what's your strategy? You know, for these next parks you're looking to buy, like what's the size? What do they look like? And then, you know, what is your big value add that you bring to the parks that you purchase? So typically we, and I don't think we talked about this yet, but you know, tenant owned homes versus park owned homes. We obviously prefer tenant owned homes. So we are attempting to purchase parks that are primarily tenant owned homes. We don't mind park owned. We have a decent amount of park owned, but then, you know, like I said, our, our model is really to purchase these, acquire these things with private money, mm-hmm. or at least a good portion of it, and then hold it value add through infill. Uh, which which has been a little tough in the last couple of years, as you know, prices of of new homes have gone up a bunch. But you know, you can still find used homes at a decent decent and about, price. Yeah, about how many homes have you guys infilled over the you know since you started buying parks back in twenty? Not not enough, <laughs> not enough. Just it is park. How many you think? Ten maybe. Ten or so. Ten. Okay. 
And then we've converted a, quite a few park-owned homes to tenant-owned homes. We've done gotcha. that quite a bit. And with that, if you can buy the park based off as if it were all tenant-owned homes, then that makes it obviously easier to convert. If you go in buying a park with numbers based off the park-owned homes and try to convert, a lot of times it doesn't work. Totally. So. Totally. Okay. So yeah, that's some of your strategies. And then have you sub-metered a park yet? Like taking the water and the sewer and put, you know, Metron Farnier meters on it or something like that to, to build back? We have. Yep. Okay. We've done that actually only one time. Most everything we buy now is already sub-metered. Not, not necessarily by Metron or whatever, but it's mm-hmm. typically through the city. It's already sub-metered, which is nice. So, uh, but we have done that on one park and that was actually pretty straightforward. Um, we hired a plumber to go in and do it. He actually was reading it for us for the first little bit where, where he had a service and it was fairly affordable. So that was, it was a good thing, saved a decent amount of money. Cause on that part, the water and sewer bill was actually quite high. Okay. So, and tell us Zach, like what are like the top couple of mistakes that you would say you've made in mobile home park investing that, you know, all of our listeners can learn from? Oh goodness. Probably not doing good enough due diligence. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty thorough when it comes to due diligence, but we did buy a park where I didn't go in all the park-owned homes because there was an excuse for this home, why they weren't home and this home. And I was like, all right, well, they look okay from the outside. <laughs> Come to find out they they weren't. But yeah, that, that's probably one of the bigger, you know, really doing thorough due diligence, um, I, w- I would say is is a big one. And do you own Making any parks sure you- with private utilities like wells or septics or lagoons or anything like that? No wells. Uh, we own two parks on septic tanks. Okay. And, and the rest so, are just public utilities, city water. Public city utilities. Sewer. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you were talking to like one of your private money partners or like a, a potential investor, you know, what would you tell them are like the most important things that, that they should look out for when investing into a mobile home park? Or if you were going to invest passively, you know, what would you want to know about the deal to get comfortable with it? So I would want to make sure it was in a good, good area that there was good demand for housing. You know, I know it's a little tricky nowadays. It seems like there's demand everywhere and there, there kind of is, but make sure the, the, see what kind of tenant base you have, uh, jobs, whatnot. And then I would specific ways to do that, you know, like besides, you know, going to the park. So I've only done this a couple of times is run like test ads. Uh, where okay. you can run a test ad for a lot for a for a home and see what kind of response you get. So that's kind of I think that's a common way to judge the demand for that type of housing in a particular market. So yeah, that's that's a good way talking to realtors, talking to property managers, seeing like, hey, is there a good demand? Is that you know what? Oh yeah, we get so many phone calls every day looking for rentals, or you know that's a that's another way good way to kind of judge the demand in an area. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So that, that would be the main thing you'd tell, you know, if you were going to passively invest in a deal, you want to make sure the market's solid. Is there anything else you would look at? You know, if you were going to passively invest with me or another operator, you know, you you saw a deal, what would it look like? Okay. That's where I get excited. I, I get excited about this topic and investing passively with somebody. So I think the number one thing, and you've probably experienced this is Trusting the operator. I, I think that's it. I mean, th- if I could say anything, the market, the the demand, all that stuff, in my opinion, kind of goes out the window. I would rather say, okay, this guy, 
Andrew, he's been investing for so many years. He knows his stuff. I mean, he's gotten these kind of returns. That's where I'm gonna. That's where I'm gonna put most of my decision making based off of. Yeah, the um, track record. Yeah, the track record. Because without a track record, there's there's a lot of people, especially now. There's a lot of new syndicators and a lot of you know new people doing this. And that's the scary part to me is if I was gonna invest, and I actually we've been talking about that. Like, it's actually a great. There's a lot of benefits to it. <laughs> you don't have you don't have to manage the property. You don't yeah. have to find the property, get the financing, deal with all the headache. Yet you can still get a really good return on your money. I totally and agree. So I bought I've bought six parts myself this year that I syndicated, but I've also invested in five passively because yeah. I I like to put the money to work and yep. you know I like you know if, if I trust the operator and I like the deal. Yeah. You know, I, yep. I like that. I like that, you know, because it's a lot of work, you know, and I, it I, is. I before we started recording, <laughs> what do we say? I was like, oh, yeah, one of the typical questions is, hey, you know, what what kind of, you know, what kind of mistakes have you made and what, what can we learn from? And and you were like, yeah, it's always something, right? Every day. It's always something. Yeah. So especially when you're self-managing those first, you know, 500 lots. It's yep. a lot. I mean, it's, it is. You know, you're doing everything from opening the mail to, you know, paying the bills yes. to... Yeah, the collections follow up calls, so it's it's a lot. I've totally been there. Yeah, so and what I tell people is if because it is a lot of work. I think a lot of times it's easy to look at as somebody that's doing this and be like, "Oh, that's so easy, making good money, all this." And it's true. Like it is. There's tons of benefits to. I, I love mobile home parts as a whole. They're very secure. There's tons of benefit, but at the same time, like you said, there's a, there is a lot of work, and you know, depending on what cap rate you're buying a park at. And this is what I explain to people that are maybe interested in investing passively, or just if I if I get on a rant and talking about it. So I can go buy a park, and let's just say I find eight ten percent cap rate. That means if I go in and buy that thing all cash, I'm going to get an eight to ten percent return on my money. Mm-hmm. Whereas I could do the same thing; I could get the same return by passively investing. I'm going to I'm going to take now however you don't get the you don't get the appreciation but you get a lot of other stuff. You get the the peace of mind and the the true mailbox money if you will. So there's there's tons of benefits in in investing. And some and some syndicators, you know, will share a piece of the upside too. So it's not just right. that interest rate yep. that you're getting, you're getting, you know, a piece of the actual equity like in our syndications we give a piece, you know, of the upside to the yep. LPs. But let's play devil's advocate for a second. Why not invest in mobile home parks? Like, what's the top reason you'd say someone, you know, should not invest in the asset class? So I would say, going back to my original comment, if if you don't trust the operator, there's a lot of room for error. And, you know, what you see a lot of times is people that buy parks, they're excited, they, they maybe overpay, and then they kind of just let it run. They let it run on it. And we've bought parts like this um, where they just kind of put it on autopilot and it doesn't run very long or very smoothly that way. And so you come in and you can you can get that, revive that part back to life. But that would be my my first caution to not buy mobile home parts if I was playing the devil's advocate is, or investing passively is, like I said, going back to trust your operator because they will know what's a good deal, how to run it properly to maximize your return. And other than that, I can't really think of another reason to not invest. Yeah, no, that's honestly, <laughs> that's great feedback because I I totally think like from knowing other operators and knowing their strengths and and weaknesses, you know, I think that's a really important note. Like, if they're on it, 
and they're like doing yeah. this every day and they're giving these attention, like they can be very successful. Right. But if they're not, things can go south really fast. Yeah. And yeah. I remember a podcast. It was a guy that works for Freddie Mac. It was, this was years ago. And I remember him saying like, you know, the default rate on mobile home park loans is, is very low. It's like one of the yep. lowest, but when a mobile home park goes bad, it's like 50% worse than any other asset class to bring back to life because it's like right. it's yep. very expensive because you got to get, you know, the homes are either trashed or you got to, you know, tear them down and bring them in. So it's very capital intensive when one goes bad. So yeah, yeah, you, you need someone that's on it. You need an operator yep. that's on it for sure. Zach, what's the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes and why? Oh, goodness. So I would start with city utilities, city water sewer, uh, direct build. Uh, to the tenants, if you can, whether that's through Metron or Build Back or just through the city, all tenant-owned homes. Mm-hmm. Is as much as people, I, I feel like, look at the numbers from a park-owned home, all tenant-owned homes. And then I would say, you know, kind of the cherry on top would be if you can find it. We own one like this where it's all street, city-maintained streets. Mm-hmm. So it's basically an entire city block, and so you have the little driveways, but everything else is scraped um, plow the snow and everything plow the snow yeah i'll keep the road so that that would be like the the ideal i would say the ideal park yeah and it's a hundred lots and you buy it at a 10 cap exactly (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome yeah what do you what do you think is going to happen you know the next few years with like the direction the economy is going and how do you think mobile home parks will fit in with that so it's hard to say. Every day I, I read a different article about interest rates are going to go down next year. Oh, no, they're not going to go down that much. They're going to, you know, whatever. So my my theory is, is we're always, at least Rachel and I, we're, we always plan on buying. Is no matter what the market's doing, we just need the numbers to make sense. We need it to make sense to us and kind of like look at all the worst case scenarios financially and we'll still buy. I think that mobile home parks are going to become more and more popular. As you know, they're not making any more of them, or at least, you know, if they are, there's a lot of stipulations and there's only a couple states really that allow it. So I think they're going to become more popular. It's an amazing affordable housing uh, option. And I think that as we've already seen in the last, you know, five years, the popularity increase with, I can't remember if it was Blackstone or BlackRock. One of the big companies started, they invested so many billions of dollars into mobile home parks. That that right there should tell you like there's it's gonna come around, I believe, to where I believe more and more mobile home parks, I forget the percentage of mobile home parks owned by mom and pop operators. And you're seeing it now. There it's gonna slowly dwindle to where it's gonna be owned by big corporations because I think people are starting to see the benefits in mobile home parks. Yeah, I think it's something like 70% are still owned by mom and pops, but most of those are baby boomers, right? And they're retiring now, so it's trading hands, and there's more groups like yours and mine that are medium-sized operators, and then there's the big boys that are going after the institutional quality assets. So yeah, exactly. I I definitely think it'll become more institutionalized, and it'll be interesting, but I think it'll take time, you know, because not every mom and pop wants to sell today. You know, that's the big thing. That's yeah, ready. that's it. <laughs> yeah. Trying to find somebody that wants to sell. So you mentioned something earlier, Zach, that really intrigued me. You said that you think mobile homes are fairly easy to rehab and you have like a construction background. So I'd love to hear why 
because I have some thoughts on this, but yeah, I would love to just get your insight. Oh goodness. So, okay. So we, like I said, we do own a, a, a fair amount or a decent amount of park owned homes, mostly down in Florida. And, and so the challenge becomes trying to find people that know how to work on them. Mm-hmm. And I'm always just like, guys, it's so simple. Like it's, it's not that hard, yeah. but like to the point where I, I brainstormed the idea of like, do I start a company to rehab mobile homes and just do large scale, like go to big operators and be like, look, I will rehab 10 homes at a time because, and then if you can systematize it to where you get your supplies or you come up, I've been even trying to think of better ways to improve, not necessarily the mobile home itself, but the rehab process. So really all it is, is it's, it's a frame. It's a, it's a trailer. And then you have your, your floor joists, your subfloor and your plywood in older homes. As you know, it's the particle board, basically compressed sawdust board. (laughs) And then you have your walls. And a lot of times the walls are built on top of the carpet. So it's, it's really, it's interesting the way they're built, but they really are built very simply. And so if you understand how they work, they're really easy to work on. Like the, the, the water lines run a certain way. Like it's, it's very simple, right? It's very, you you have access access, right under the homes. It's like a crawl space, right? So I see the benefit of like it being easier, right. To work on versus, you know, some of these older houses with the, you know, the concrete, yeah. you know, foundations and things like that. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people don't realize that like the doors are a different size. The right. windows yep. are different sizes. The, the drywall is a different thickness. You know, thickness, everything yep. is, a, is a little bit different that the tubs are different sizes. You know, the fixtures yep. in there are different. So it's not like you can just go to Home Depot and get all the pieces you need to fix these things. And I think, right. you know, like you're saying, you know, if you can systematize it and know, hey, for every house, I, I need, you know, this color paint, I need this size, yep. you know, baseboards, I need this, you know, you know PEX water lines, and, and, you know, you get the underbelly secured, all that kind yep. of stuff. It's just so different too, for like, you know, homes in the South versus homes in the North where it gets cold, you got to get right. those water lines protected. But yeah, no, that's interesting. I, yeah, I've never thought of it that way, though, as like, an, you know, they're simply built, right? Yeah. They're, you know, they have nuances to it. So that's yeah, they're, they're, I always tell people like, number one thing, take care of the roof. Like if you start having leaks in the roof, it's going to obviously trickle down, no pun intended yeah. and ruin everything. Any kind of leaks, get them taken care of. But yeah, they're, they're simple. Like you said, a lot of stuff is uh, specific to mobile homes. So that's why if, if somebody has a decent amount of park and homes, they're trying to rehab if get with a supplier or somebody that knows mobile homes and yeah, they're they're easy to work on. It unfortunately you don't find many people that can or are willing to. <laughs> are willing to. That's the key, that's, right? That's it. That's it. Awesome, Zach. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing a ton of you know nuggets about your your journey. If any of our listeners would like to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to do so? So you can follow us on uh, Instagram, Green River Capital Partners, and then our email address is greenrivercapitalpartners at gmail.com. So either one of those are great. So okay. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Zach. All right. Thanks for having me. That's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over a hundred five-star reviews by the end of 2021, and it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.